Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Thank you for coming back for the second half of the Julia Claire episode. With Reply Guys. With Reply Guys. We'll be digging a little bit deeper into uh, some topics we sort of broached in the first part, but prosperity gospel, uh, the ways in which Julia has embraced socialism as a more immediate way of realizing Jesus' social teachings. And uh, we tried to end the conversation at one point, but towards the end, we got into all ki- all manner of conversation, sexual liberation, youth church culture, reproductive rights. Yeah, big shout out to Julia for just wrapping with us and, you know, giving us uh, a lot of late hours in her evening. So let's get out on it. Yeah. Um, Would you be okay talking a little bit about your, like, why you became a socialist? Sure. Also... Because given your reply, guys, I also think you've got a keen eye for boys copying what they think is a man man act. Yeah, I think that a lot of the attempts at correction that have been made in this country in the direction of feminism have, in fact, done a disservice to boys in some ways. Ooh, please. Um, So, like, let's take home economics, for example. I took it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're, you know, it's largely you're, you know, you're in the minority of, of people well, who, who t- I took it to me girls. So well, yeah. I, well, I took it at a charter school, which I went to, and it was taught by a mom who like, okay. so you get it. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I think like, I mean, home economics, the, in the old, the olden days was like pretty intensive, like teaching women how to be homemakers, like how to sew, how to repair things like how to repair textiles and cook to serve, to be service workers for their husbands. Right. Hospitality degree. Rear children. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And largely with women's liberation, it was thrown out entirely. I think it should, instead of that, it should have just been expanded and everyone should take it because now you also have men and women who don't know how to cook and don't know how to do basic things for themselves. So it's not just boys. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just boys who are, are hurt by that either, of course, but also I think, you know, because women are obviously were in a, a oppressed group, for were slash are in a oppressed group, you know, there are a lot of, of spaces that women have to feel, and, you know, women, gender non-conforming people as well, to, to feel safe around one another and also to meet like, mentors and be be nurtured by them and there are a lot of again because feminism had to like women had to carve out a space for themselves and this is true of any marginalized group there are fewer in number role models maybe but definitely because of that like very visible role models and boys don't have that good role models when you um, said role model the first thing that came to mind was han solo I was like, Absolutely. yeah, that was my role model. <laughs> well, yes, okay, yeah. So, or like whether it's a rapper or a pro sports star or the president, 
Right. No. So it's like, but okay. So I guess we're, we engage with the idea of what it means to be a woman as a society much more than we engage with the idea of what it means to be a man. Hmm. And so I think that leaves a lot of, you know, guys who don't have community to finding like, you know, incel Reddit threads or <laughs> like GameStop game summer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like the pickup artist community or like oh. Joe Rogan or. Yeah. Right. Know. It's like being this male chauvinist is like the, or the Uber man. And you get like, in a, so I'm, I'm also hearing you say like in a, in a masculine society, masculinity is assumed. And one of the things that I've like a working hypothesis is that men or the transfer from a boy to a man hmm. doesn't happen naturally. No statement on women or anything, but like you need to, you need to make a man. It's not easy to be selfless. It's not easy to do these sorts of things. Um, and that's I, a, I that's a if, very like that's a very evangelical framing for it, like culturally. <laughs> well, I, I'm not saying it's different yeah. for a woman. I'm just wondering, like you know, it's I I don't want to love people. I want to be selfish. You yeah. know what I mean? But why isn't that? But yeah, like so do I. I think no, right. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and that's and I, why I think you've like thinking through it. Even like when we were in the army, Samantha like had to start women's group. His wife. Just yeah sorry is that yeah, like, of course you have a wife <laughs> <laughs> um and you know what though freaking you know what only because god helped us man um yeah because bitches be chopping <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd be one of those bitches probably um I guess, I guess what i'm trying to say is that um should also add in that in addition to shopping samantha might also be popping at any moment during this call recording. because she is due any moment oh my gosh <laughs> what <laughs> With his first, 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 first child. Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh about to God, join them ranks of the uncle. Ah, congratulations. Do you Thank know, you. do you know uh, if it's a boy or girl? Yeah, boy. So. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So the, the masculinity conversations are especially relevant to you because you're thinking about raising your son. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and if I pray and when I pray for like him to be like a man that loves God, like, I, I, I have struggled with this because I've done a bunch of men's groups, men's Bible studies and or like Veritas forums, just man. Mm-hmm. And I've I guess I had to reconcile this idea that like, oh, there are certain masculine virtues that aren't feminine. And I don't know if that's true, actually. I because um, we should both be leaders above example and both love and both be humble and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, that was kind of one of the the sticking points of the conversation we had the first time around was, you know, the the more we started to think about it and why the conversation revolved, started to turn into um, the difference between boys and men is because a lot of the most inherent traits I think should be inherent to being masculine are just as valuable for women to have, you know, respect, kindness, generosity, uh, open heartedness. Thank you, Cyrus. He he got me on task here. So like biblically the definition i think of a man is not a boy mm-hmm. and our dad like told me basically like because he was left by his dad hey man you better not effing do that and a boy will make a boy's decision a man will make a man's decision that was like sort of my definition of a man and i think there's this i know i have this inherent thing that i think a lot of other men i've talked to do as well or boys or in the transit like 
we want to be a man. We want to prove our masculinity somehow. And whether that's evolutionary or in, in, in created in us, I don't know. But we go about it in a bad way, trying to prove our masculinity. Right, because, I mean, yeah, the, the often cited verse is the, like, when I was a child, I acted like a child. First Corinthians 13. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Flex. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, I, oh, I, it's, yeah, sorry. I actually, but, but, but like that, uh, that you mentioned like the Joe Rogan guys, you know, that, that, that like sort of stereotypical American masculinity that we think of. I think what's so frustrating to me is like those people aren't even, they're pretending like they're rebels or somehow rebellious to the culture, but in reality, they're They're self-serving. It's what they are. And also it's, the oldest view on gender in the book um and (laughs) you know it kind of is skews religious ideology because obviously like i I think it's it's interesting that you have a lot of like conservative evangelical christians uh evangelical christian men who who hold this view of women and then you will find the same ideology about you know, gender roles between men and women in, you know, different parts of it in like (laughs) Joe Rogan or like the new atheist movement, which is just naked bigotry to me, but it's just like, what do you mean? Just a little bit like, I mean, a lot of the, the most often cited figures of the new atheist movement, which are uh, Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens, right. And Richard Dawkins yeah uh, christopher hitchens famous misogynist sam harris famous islamophobe like, <laughs> who like doesn't have super generous views about women either so it's like this these patterns keep re-emerging you know it's it's an easy message to sell regardless of where you fall on you know on the religious identities spectrum or the Jordan, even the Jordan Peterson thing, like people who try, oh, like the new 100%, atheists, like people who, 100%, 100%, right. absolutely. Like trying to cloak it in some sort of academic rigor when it's really well, just recycled bigotry. Thank you for bringing up Jordan Peterson, because obviously how could we omit the lobster daddy himself? Um, Is he still alive? Oh, we don't know. <laughs> I think his daughter might've killed him, but we'll never know. Um, Sorry. This is but, a conversation for the terminally online, mostly. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. Okay, for so, all of our listeners over 50 and me, what do you mean by Jordan Peterson? Okay, so Jordan Peterson is a Canadian, quote unquote, academic. He is a professor, uh, and he is another one. Actually, again, perfect example. Thank you, Cyrus. He deals a lot with the idea of masculinity, and he has uh, that book like. Seven rules, 12 for, rules life. for life 12, or something like 12 that rules for life yeah and huge huge book i think the intro to jordan peterson gets a lot of people a lot of men in the door again i mean this goes back to the idea of like men kind of not having a a roadmap of like how to be a man and jordan peterson is like clean your room and people hear that and they're like okay i can do that like and then they do it and they're like oh that does make me feel better exactly so i mean there's like i've got a friend who's okay a disciple this it's i've connected the dots so there's like a grain at the the, the beginning of his uh of his rabbit hole there is you know a grain of something that 
is beneficial to everyone and people can really latch onto, but it gets kind of further and further Mm. into again, the kind of ideology about, about women in gender roles that are as old as time that women and men have inherent roles in society. Uh, And, you know, I mean, that's, that's another one of the things too, is that like, there are are certain assumptions that are are even considered to be more innocuous that I still find harmful. Like the idea that, like you were saying earlier, like you just want to be selfish. And that is, that's something I would hear a lot of my, my, uh, my Christian male friends being like, Oh, I need to battle inherent in me as a man. I just like, you know, want to like strike out on my own and be, be selfish. And I'm like, yeah, me too, man. Like I <laughs> like the, again, the idea that women are not sexual, the women, the women are not selfish that like, we don't have the same vices that you do. And we do. <laughs> like, I wonder if, you know, the church's repression and uh, loose terms here. Um, Cause not every church does you get it, but the overall lack of maybe encouraging ch- uh, women leaders in the church has created sure. a vacuum of, um, you know, uniquely female support, that sort of thing. Well, yeah. And also you don't have, I mean, there are some churches where it's like openly discouraged or yeah, outright banned. And what does that, what does that inherently say um, about your, how you think about women? Maybe men represent order women chaos, something like that. And and I'd, I'd love to dunk on evangelical Christians right now. If uh, the left didn't just have its most recent meltdown over something a woman did after AOC did that live stream and you know like so we still have quite a it's, for those who, who aren't aware AOC did a live stream you know uh, documenting her experience um, at the Capitol riot and you from people who are supposedly supposed to be comrades you know brothers and, and sisters of AOC you know at least if you, you take what she says in good faith you know sharing her story and her story of being sexually assaulted you know all those things and wrapping them up in that same like excuse that people have labeled for the, for women, you know, expressing those things that is also as old as time of other doing it for attention or it's for their own personal self aggrandizement. So we have a lot of work to do on both sides. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I look no further than Glenn Greenwald, uh, who is, you know, certainly the loudest of, of our, our supposedly left, uh, quote unquote <laughs> left men who just won't shut up uh, about I mean it's just at this point Glenn Greenwald it's like a naked hatred of women and I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that it's kind of uh, I know that you know I'm a woman so I'm inherently irrational but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I mean I think it speaks too to like how these ideas about those things are so like inculcated in our society because Glenn Greenwald is a gay man and he's mm-hmm erudite and cosmopolitan and all sure. the things that you would you know that liberals would like to say was like oh if we could just make society that way and and shame people out of those views then you know like those things will go away whereas i feel like the socialist feminist view is well no something no. needs to fundamentally change with people's relationship to the world they live in no and i will of course i i just want to underscore that this is not just men who hold these views and who are affected by this kind of like prevailing wisdom about something like this. You know, I, uh, there's a, 
certain friend that I that I have who's become kind of uh, she's a, a woman who became kind of like radicalized in in the bad way by uh, yeah. by a a kind of reactionary anti woke podcast and she made this big post on her Instagram story about how it's actually feminist to critique a survivor account and <laughs> to that I say no it is not uh, <laughs> and also go take a nap I don't know I <laughs> go cool take a walk <laughs> we're we're benching you um, <laughs> it's just not I understand the how the kind of maybe overly facile slogan of believe women can trigger for lack of a better word some men and make make men feel inherently defensive because but you know it's the whole thing of like a man's greatest fear is being uh accused of sexual assault a woman's greatest fear is being raped like like i i i mean the, and i'm more afraid of a woman just making fun of me right right well, that's that's the other one commonplace we do skip some high school now yeah. so that's why he grew I, uh, a mustache and a mullet right <laughs> very very cool very it was to make sure that women would never make fun of me absolutely <laughs> to my face yeah absolutely i will yeah. i'm, I'm going to be doing a whole podcast actually about making just specifically making fun of you uh, after right after this going to do a solo pod uh, release for the patreon but all press um, is good press <laughs> <laughs> so I, I understand why there is a there has been a kind of like contrarian men's rights reaction to the <laughs> to be, like the idea of believe women but believe women obviously only came about because so often no one believes us like aoc said in her in her own i mean obviously obviously aoc was just widely not believed and she said that she wrestled with sharing her own story because she has not been believed in the past yeah like i mean i don't know I, i i mean if you look at the numbers robbery is a very it has like a at least double the rate of false reporting of rape. And yet when someone says I was robbed, your immediate instinct is not to. I'm not so sorry. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, no, like, it, uh, why is that? Yeah. It, it makes me really like one of the most sickening things I think of watching. Well, Bernie lose, which, you know, put a pit in my stomach for months, but then after that, you delayed your the, trips overseas for that. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the eventual nomination of Joe Biden to the presidency, just like someone who is so counter to everything like the Me Too movement and Time's Up and all that for supposedly for and to watch sort of the liberal establishment like turn their backs on that for political expediency, I think was just was very indicative of, to me of the way that the establishment uses these ideas in, as long as they're useful and then no further. That's kind of that's kind of goes back to the difference between, you know, leftist more leftist feminism and mainstream neoliberal feminism. It's um, you know these are slogans to sell things to neoliberal f- feminists. Uh, corporate feminism is, yeah, it's just in service of capital. It's not in service of 
uh, of women. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I share your frustration. Certainly. Uh, I was not, I, you know, Bernie losing was, uh, personally devastating for me and <laughs> I will never forget when he won the Nevada caucus. And I thought that we could, we could pull this off. Best night of my life. I've heard uh, that before, <laughs> Julia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even on an, an issue, like probably I would say one of the most fundamental feminist issues of like our time, especially the last 50 years, abortion, you know, the big one, um, or definitely one one of the highlights, like the way liberal feminism sort of characterizes that or defends it is all through this idea of like personal choice of like, and, and that, those are good things. And like, you know, we should ha- all have liberty to make personal choices about our health care, whereas I feel like the leftist args for it, like definitely include that, but also add on the idea of like, this is for the health and well-being, not just of an individual woman, but of all women and the health and well-being of all women is the health and well-being of our whole country. Right. Um, so, so, you know. so, I mean, the way that I, I think both liberal feminists and leftist feminists alike would frame it is not just abortion, it's reproductive rights. Right. And I would say that part of the leftist feminist reproductive rights platform includes universal childcare for women who do decide to become mothers. Because again, the, this notion of, of, of pro-life uh, has holes in it the minute you, you prod just a little bit because you cannot, first of all, our, the United States recently became, was on the list of like worst countries to become a parent <laughs> or something <laughs> like worse right. countries to raise a child. Again, you cannot say you are pro-life if the minute that child is born, you want to, you know, take away food stamps or, you know, you don't believe in, you know, universal well-funded public education or, you know, any number of things. Basically like we don't have the structures in place in this country that make raising a child, raising a child is never easy, but like make it feasible for a lot of people. Julia, and this is to not just to you, but to, I think a lot of Christian folks and friends listening, I think you're damn right. (laughs) And it will, and this is one in which I think, you know, through my own prayer and, and, and reflection and conversation, I'm really struggling with particularly talk like reproductive rights, talk abortion, because I feel that abortion or has been used as a wedge issue to get folks uh, to, to vote against economic interests that are like against the, the, their very self-interests, namely right. rural whites and inner city blacks. Right. And, um, right. and I see that as like, I heard you say, okay, Christian, it's easy to be pro-life before birth, mm-hmm. a lot harder to be pro-life after birth and to be pro-life in your church when she decides to keep it. And not just locally and personally on the church level, but um, civically and socio socioeconomically. And so you mentioned universal, universal child care. Uh, thank you. You've mentioned universal child care. Um, I've even moved to a point of saying something I actually thought was immoral, and you could probably guess a whole bunch of reasons why. You can't tell me you're anti-abortion, brother, sister in Christ, if you're not for at least willing to concede universal provision of contraceptives. Because yeah. that would bring down abortions. And to some people, that like uh, heads explode. And I, uh, universal health care, all these sorts of things, you know, you know, not just the deregulation of adoption, but the state subsidy of it. And I mean, 
just to kind of like dig a little further on that point, reduction of poverty writ large reduces abortion because, yeah. you know, there's that, that phrase, you didn't make good choices, you had good choices. Like there are entire swaths of this country who don't have good choices. So it's easy to sit on your high horse and say, look at this terrible decision you made. That's, you know, now that live gets, with the consequences. Exactly. And that gets thrown <laughs> yeah. around. I mean, certainly that was like all the rhetoric that propelled the war on drugs and the crime bill. And it's uh, definitely been used as like a bludgeon against people of color uh, and just poor people in this country. But yeah. Can I ask you this question too? And sure. I, this is me trying to understand your feminism and your socialism. Mm-hmm. And also one of the things Cyrus and I are trying to do over time is find some common ground, us agreeing on problems and maybe on solutions. And if there were, if particularly the, I don't want to even say the Christian right, because there, I think are good Christians, not Republicans or right. If Christians in the country um, really got behind some social issues like they did hundred years ago in this country, namely the universal provision of childcare and healthcare and contraceptives and these sorts of things. And there was a much more robust, um, social civic safety net and support system for that do you think a day in the future if those things were on the table um socialists or feminists could say hey you know what um things like partial birth abortion which has been banned you know bush but or late-term abortion or other types of abortion we might be willing to concede those if you christians are willing to actually do the things that you freaking you know would, would make you not hypocrites and yeah. I, okay, quick pause. You, I, we can strike that whole question from the record. No, I just don't I, know. Like, bring it on, is, bring it on. That's, I, a, look, that's, that's a, that's an intersection of like, I think that's probably as far as most people would be willing to compromise. I'll, sure. I'll, I'll, no, I'll repeat that. That's as far, that's at least as far as they better be willing to compromise. Cause I've even given up my conviction of the death penalty, because even though I think I can make a case for it. No, you know what? If, if you can line me up with hypocrite with that, you're a good point. I should drop it. I mean, yeah, but also it's like, go a step further. It's like all of our military interventions. <laughs> like, I mean, right. <laughs> you can like our entire history of foreign policy. I'm currently listening to a podcast about Iran Contra. And it's like how many armed conflicts where Americans and foreign civilians died happened because we are somebody just made something up in whether it was like <laughs> the Gulf, yeah. yeah, yeah, the Gulf of Tonkin incident in Vietnam or basically the idea that there were moderate uh, in, in Iran-Contra, there were moderate Iranians who would be sympathetic to the Ayatollah being overthrown. Again, I'm, I digress, but. <laughs> so, okay, so you see a lack of, uh, as I understand you there, you see a lack of um, respect for the sanctity of life, not just Americans, but abroad based on economic interests. Is that right? I do. I mean, also it's like, yeah, I mean, then you can look at some of the big, the big figureheads in the evangelical church, the the most the most prominent, the megachurch pastors like Joel Osteen, who like ref- during the hurricane like refused to let his church be used as a shelter. And, you know, and just to that case, because I have friends or family that are Osteen disciples. Technically, he would have been breaking city ordinances by bringing them in, but I counter <laughs> weren't willing to break those ordinances, dude. Resign yeah. your pastorship. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and, and I will say that, you know, there's a lot of uh, late, late term abortion is definitely the, uh, it's one that's a little easier to 
put up on the wall as, as a conversation, but yeah. Well, it's always brought up uh, because it's kind of, it's definitely considered this like beyond the pale, like by, by a lot of people. There's um, abortion and then there's this other thing. My, okay. So yeah, my, yeah. like, you know, I was actually just having this conversation with my boyfriend uh, the other night and he is again, totally secular. And he was like, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, Julia, just make it super real. Like that baby, like hiccups has dreams, but will be born in three days. Okay. Even blinks. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Okay. But nobody is. So that's the boogeyman that they're trying to sell you is that the, that like someone is going to come and rip your unborn child out of your wife's womb. And that is just simply not the case. That's the only late-term abortions are incredibly rare. 2% or something small. And when they happen, it is almost always because of either threatening the life of the mother like that you know because of like eclampsia or something like that there's it is a life and death situation uh, having a child is more dangerous than donate than like donating a kidney it's like living without <laughs> a kid like that's that's real there's more complex possible complications more things can go wrong it's also it's just this because it's this thing obviously that's so commonplace it's like you know we we do kind of treat we don't we don't understand like what uh you know i think a lot of times we don't understand the gravity of what pregnancy does to a woman's body but you know the idea of a c-section even being kind of just like oh like that's the easier route just get a a c-section is major surgery yeah and it takes months to heal from it and you know it's it's brutal Late-term abortion is always kind of brought up as this particular talking point because, again, it's it's used. At, I, I think it's used. Uh, well, maybe we can. So you said the boogeyman, and maybe I, yeah, I think it's like to... it's, it's fear mongering because, again, they are so rare and they are almost. I mean, they almost exclusively happen again if it's a an immediate threat to the life of the mother or that the baby is going to be like essentially born dead anyways yeah maybe last Um, question on the topic then for me because i again i'm i'm still searching and 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 i have my beliefs but i'm very interested to listen and learn and that is like okay so because a lot of i mean there's some state laws out there that would prohibit abortions flat out which i'm struggle with because i know that there's always going to be a demand for it for people but I, i also understand that gee my question is i guess to back to that old example i used ideal maybe you know never going to happen but hopefully social safety net for those folks and support Mm -hmm. system is there ever a time that you think like okay if all that's in place that abortions less rape incest life a mother like you know you think in the future people could find common ground there well i think that assumes that we haven't kind of compromised on it so much already and really it's almost always the first thing on the chopping block uh even for you know there's a lot of male leftists who are like well we should be able to compromise on abortion and certainly <laughs> we can give that one up right guys can, <laughs> <laughs> fellas what do we think uh, <laughs> fellas, what do we think? <laughs> uh but yeah i mean certainly in a in a socialist utopia where there is a robust social safety net you're gonna have less of it anyways 
you just yeah i feel like the sort of like like not that socialists don't think about moral questions because they do but in terms of like the way we want to like think about addressing problems at least the way i see it is like it's all about the usefulness of the policy so like yeah i mean nobody wants abortions in terms of like yeah everyone wants fewer of them um and for less women to have to make that decision but the quickest way to get there is by providing all of the things that we can do to help women make that make that decision easier for them and also not here's my my question why isn't every conservative christian quote-unquote lawmaker in this country just single-mindedly obsessed with funding the foster care system and you know if you're so pro-life and if you care so much about children then again it's like why why is this is america after all the last the, 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 the very last step we should do to solve a problem should be banning something. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and also, you know, so, so often one of the talking points or the, the pieces of, of rhetoric used is about, quote unquote, the sanctity of life. Why is the, the life of the mother not sacrosanct? That's my, I mean, I mean, the laws, the laws that in this country any laws that would prohibit abortion on certainly on the basis of rape or incest are absolutely abhorrent. And again, I think if you're, you know, if you're, if you still lean that way, not, not biblical, um, <laughs> it's old Testament biblical, maybe. Uh, you know but- what? I, I, the bottom line is I, I, that one's because I know some people that are hard, hardcore on this and, you know, donates lost time and money. I, as a Christian talking to other Christians could be for the provision of abortion in those cases, just be, and charge the rapist with murder. Like, Hey man, this baby's blood's on your hands. Cause you know, if that's her choice, she can do that. But this is, you've created multiple sins. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much I, I don't know. No, I know. And I'm not, my, my thoughts, my thoughts on the carceral system are, are another story on the what system. The carceral system, the 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 justice system. The oh yeah, no, no, that's system. a good point too. I guess I'm just saying that um, you you have a phenomenal point, Julia. That's one that's one that's bringing me really into material politics. Is wait a second, you tell me the CS uh, CPS is a huge like terminal to things like child sex trafficking, and so how can we not in this next sentence after hey this is a moral issue, sanctity of life, and we can, and, and there are vulnerable people out there now that need help. Um, and there are churches that do some of that and make that part of their ministry. But I'm just struggling to say for the, the Christians that don't think that we should be involved in law and politics, why shouldn't we be involved in that? And the mm-hmm. folks that are thinking like, hey, we need to defend the rights of the unborn. Well, what about the rights of the born, the ones yeah. that are suffering now? So, And there are some, obviously, like the foster care system is so incredibly over. It's, it's the same thing of like, we love the troops, but also we're going to defund the VA. Julia, you know what? My wife and I are involved in a little bit of like the legislation or the public policy, whatever, first <laughs> yeah. child trafficking. One house bill in Texas got shot down last, last legislative cycle because it would have expanded the mandate of uh, child protective services without the funding. And so, yeah. like, what are we freaking doing? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's with the rise of, uh, not to get too, too far off topic, but it is kind of related, like with the rise of, the QAnon movement in conservative politics, there's that, you know, the idea that like, 
there is a cabal of, of wealthy, powerful child sex traffickers, when in reality, child sexual child sexual abuse is so incredibly common in the United States outside of the foster care system. The, you know, we, we were taught about stranger danger in school uh, and we were not, you know, but not about like how to identify if, you know, if, if someone in your own home is, and when in your own home is, is kind of being inappropriate with you when that is overwhelmingly what happens. The, it's like 95% of victims of child sexual abuse, the perpetrator is known to them. And yeah. And it's like the most uh, common response to people like, you know, that people think about that is like, oh, well, you probably just misread it. You know, like yeah. it, it's, it's automatically assumed that someone close to you couldn't when it's almost always that person. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I, I'm like, I'm very offended by, <laughs> by uh, the existence of QAnon uh, for many reasons, but that is, that is, I think the most pernicious of, of all of them. But again, the idea that like, oh, now suddenly you care about child sexual abuse because you think it's like run by a, a bunch of lizard people, like get out of my life. It is everywhere. It is. Yeah. It's- well, Jeff Epstein didn't help. It's almost like that, like almost him and everything I, I this is my interpretation of it yeah is almost akin to 0809 creating like tea party and occupy yeah but for like child sex trafficking sure yeah yeah, yeah i you know there are if you want to call yourself pro-life like go nuts but the way that it is used culturally in this country is wrong and it's just like inherently fallacious it's just not i don't know us i don't really know very many cultural figures who are self-described as pro-life who actually are and let me do an example here cyrus i know you're, you're going to take us here but like just to kind of uh, to speak to people who might disagree with her and maybe to myself in the past when i would have disagreed with julia there i think we certainly get sold making um, abortions illegal and we get sold economic policy that ships jobs overseas to the benefit of multinational rich corporations of one on which, you know, and, um, <laughs> and we get, we get, we get led to vote against our own economic interests. And I think it's one thing Cyrus told me uh, maybe a, a year ago or so, like if the economic policy of conservative libertarians and neoliberals on different political parties happens to agree with each other, then that sounds strange. Mm-hmm. And the social issues of, you know, the working poor, cl- poor classes and different parties disagree. And I went, mm, you know what? I, I, I very much understand people's fervency to defend life. And we're going to bring somebody on that is a big one issue voter. You know, it's got a radio presence and that sort of thing. But my question will be like, okay, ought we then from now on in the next sentence talk in the same sentence and what what about these because we just come i feel we come off as hypocritical yeah i mean yeah, I feel, yeah. no i know you get it I, i'm just <laughs> julia this is like you know last For like sure. you know, 24 months like light bulb so he's talking to himself most okay okay cool <laughs> yeah, sorry i'm not uh, preaching i'm i'm self-discovering <laughs> yeah but i feel like you know like every almost every other issue that we face in this country you know like something we've talked a bit about too in this in this podcast is like the culture war and how like common it is for things to be boiled down into cultural issues but you know just 
thinking through this conversation, like how much abortion and reproductive rights are an actual material issue that really materially affects people and that their decision to have a child or not, or to put up for adoption or not, or whatever else is from a material basis, largely from their circumstances and the condition they're in. Yeah. I mean, and also whether or not abortion is legal in a given place, women will still get them one way or another and it's something that i think came out in your shout the abortion episode yeah the women who will get them safely will be the rich ones exactly so abortion was fully illegal in ireland until very recently you know wealthier irish women could fly to england and have it have the procedure done the same is true for certainly wealthier women who come from, from wealthier backgrounds uh, here in the States uh, in, in different places that have more restrictive abortion laws. But your like trap laws, which are the ones uh, that essentially put a lot of unnecessary, like put a lot of unnecessary restrictions on, on abortions or uh, the clinics that perform them, like the width of the hallways or the uh, that doctors, the doctors who practice there have to have admitting privileges to a local hospital, something like that, just making it more difficult. I mean, certainly there are a number of states, very large states like Mississippi and Louisiana, that only have one clinic in the whole state uh, that performs. So you're either wealthy and you can afford to travel to another state, or you're asking someone who might be a wage worker to take multiple days off work to <laughs> drive across state lines and have this like have this procedure done and then like it's just it's not feasible for a lot of people so you're really just again it's just an extension of like punishing poor people yeah not to mention that some of the reason a lot of women don't end up being able to meet like whatever deadlines arbitrary or otherwise to get the abortion before, you know, what they would consider late term or, or whatever else is because they need to save up money in order right. to be able to have the procedure. And um, also, I mean, also a lot of the trap laws include mandatory waiting periods um, and, and different things like that, that are not, I mean, what I find the most nakedly ghoulish about that is that they're always sold as like, our interest, our chief interest is in the health of the mother. And that is could not that could not be further from the truth. Just say what you mean. I would have more respect for you if you did. Like, I agree with that. You don't care. Like trying to do something moral through duplicitous measures is a little, uh, <laughs> a little exactly. interesting on its own. And so I think, you know, this is it, it, the Republican voter base is is kind of entirely enmeshed in cultural issues. And I know that the left gets portrayed as such like that the left are the like culture warriors. But if you look at the, the election of Donald Trump and his base and the, the base who stayed with him, like until the bitter end, uh, it, was, it was two groups of people, evangelicals, uh, people who were single issue voters on abortion and people who were single issue voters on immigration. And those are two, and you know, I'm sure that there, are, there is, I'm sure there's some overlap there, but they're like certainly you know, it's very easily kind of distilled in Donald Trump and Mike Pence. Donald Trump is, is telling 
uh, working class and poor people that you've not gotten ahead in this country. You've not gotten ahead in your life. Uh, you've not succeeded financially because Mexicans are stealing your jobs because immigrants are destroying this country. Has nothing to do with NAFTA or anything. Well, sure. No, 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 I think she's got a point. I also think that there's something there that like attracted me in his initial ter- in campaign is he's one of the ones of the ones who's benefited from that arrangement and yeah. says the game's rigged. Yeah. And I went, OK, you kind of well, get it. We've been doing that intentionally. Right. So, I mean, the thing is, is, yeah, they so he's telling you the game is I mean, the game is rigged, but he's telling you that the, the reason for that is immigrants. And then the other one is like and, and then Mike Pence comes in and says, and also we're going to really like, I mean, just the existence of Mike Pence, just seeing him, you just are like, oh, a woman is currently losing her rights. Uh, like, <laughs> I like he is just he's a scary man to me, but. Yeah. So basically, I, I think it was it was two distinct groups of people who were told what they wanted to hear. And what did they get out of it? What's the first big thing that Republicans did with their supermajorities as they passed a trillion dollar tax cut for the wealthy and corporations? Shows where their priorities are. At. <laughs> no, it's let it ring. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I just I just I think that like. You know, I, I read this. I, I really recommend this uh, this book, Dark Money, by Jane Mayer. She's a, a reporter for The New Yorker, and uh, she talks a lot about the kind of intersection of the billionaire class and and how they have imposed their agenda and kind of manipulated the Republican voter base. Talking about you know the Koch brothers, the Mercers. There might but, be book club. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we 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 have had you for now close to two hours, Julia, and uh, we we do always try to finish on common ground. So I feel like the idea that the game is rigged by billionaires and also Mike Pence is scary. I think two pretty good uh, pieces of common ground we can uh, we can land on. Nobody likes to look into those eyes. No. Well, I, like, I, I, <laughs> I I hope I can trust Mike Pence. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm a, I have I have not done a ton of research. Yeah. Oh my, do a little bit because it's, <laughs> it's dark. Yeah. He's a scary man. He's a scary man. He definitely I mean, it like embodies in the, uh, in the coronavirus press conferences, like the ideal corporate VP who like always seems to cover for Donald Trump. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's a good yes, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah. Um, not much, not, not much use more than that. I'm sure that a lot of your conservative Christian listeners will hear me and perhaps not engage with what I've said in good faith or with with grace but I just what I want to underscore more than anything is and this is something that even though I'm no longer practicing I I I just would want people to approach the people in their lives who have different views with them than them uh, with grace and know that Everyone who is in a group that you deem kind of like irredeemable or unforgivable is a person. And I think that we would all do a lot better just to kind of like recognize the humanity in one another. Not to be too kumbaya, but because we always I, get a little kumbaya at the end of this. Yeah, well, no, I mean, <laughs> it's a good setup for our intro conversation to this interview. So, yeah. 
so yeah i mean that's that's really it i just I, like look i know that people are gonna listen to me and think i'm a fucking heathen because i you know i swear and i uh have had sex and i just tried to make a you know a cogent reasonable case for the morality of abortion which i do believe is true but these issues are a lot more complex than people with nefarious interests want you to believe that they are because the people who want you to believe these ideas are really simple have a vested interest in doing that uh, and it's almost always financial mm. Man, I couldn't have put couldn't have put a bit any better myself. I think with that, um, we want to re up on on Julia's podcast, Reply Guys. Julia, is there anything else we're forgetting to plug? Anything else you want to put out there into the universe? Well, if you want to reply to me on Twitter, be my guest. You'll be <laughs> among a truly strange cohort. Join me right. in the trenches, fellas. Yeah. Do you, you don't reply <laughs> to me, though. Have you replied to me? I don't think you have. Uh, I think I have in the past, but I'm a small account. Okay. I'm not, I'm not often noticed. On the, on the, on the <laughs> Just a, a respectful king on the, in the replies. Um, That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at OJuliaTweets, OHJuliaTweets. I'm there all the time. Tragically so. And um, yeah, I thank you guys very much for having me on. This has been a great discussion. Thank you for telling our, your story. And if anything, it's uh, you loved us and loved a lot of people by sharing it. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Julia. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that was that was pretty special for me. That, thank you again to Julia Claire uh, very much. That was, that was very good. Julia, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, hard to come out on someone uh, uh, on someone's show. You have no idea who they are and talk about your personal life, but we're all the richer for it. Yeah, she trusted us with that. I, it's still sitting with me. So any any immediate thoughts about the... Uh... Before we jump into... Yeah, I do have some thoughts. I want to let everybody know we've got an interview already in the catalog. We have a lot more coming and lined up in the queue. We're going to stretch ourselves to agree, disagree with everybody in Cyrus and I both. And so that's what you're, we're going to, you're going to hear. We've I've been sitting on this, reflecting on it, uh, meditating on it a little bit as well. And yeah, so, as we've sort of mentioned previously, you know, we want to give our guests the opportunity to fully express their ideas. And then we have the opportunity to chop it up a little bit and dissect it a little bit on the other side. That's right. Um, so, yeah. And so I'll start with I th- just the ways in which I really admire her and, and appreciate it. And I think actually you, me, Cyrus, anyone listening can take her example. She trusted us with her story. In that way, I think she was courageous. And so I want to put a new, it's like part of like a partial mission, personal mission. I'm defining courageous as being strong in vulnerability. Uh, that's the kind of strength. Like Donald Trump is just strong, all strong, never weak, like dumb strong. Never willing to make himself vulnerable. Yeah, Jeb Bush, like <laughs> weak, right? And, and I just, Please clap. <laughs> just vulnerable, right? Yeah. And so to be strong in vulnerability is like this unique maturity that I really appreciate and like I, I admire that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, secondly, I'll just leave it short. I was just interested to hear her critique of feminism, uh, you know, being a male, sort of the type A uh, male, a man that I am. I, I just appreciate any subculture, thought group, ideological, like whatever that is self-critical 
because they love what they believe. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. I think that, you know, to me, it was a big part of the reason I wanted to bring her on is because to, to give a more nuanced perspective on what feminism, what feminism is, what it can be, what it should, should and ought to support. Uh, so that was in my, one of my, you know, favorite portions of the interview amongst, amongst all of them, but just in general, you know, I want to hammer kind of home on that point that there is a difference between liberal and leftist views between liberal and leftist feminism. And you know what, to me, it's uh, elaborate on that a little bit, because there's a lot of people listening that this is a first socialist they've really heard of or heard from. And her brand of socialism, her brand of feminism is almost like not purely just pro-woman, but if since it's a little bit more materially oriented, it's like almost to use a, you know, a, a, a classic conservative phrase, a rising tide, like, you know, lifts all boats kind of thing. Like if you, you know, if you, if we do things that are socially materially right for women, it's going to be better for everybody. Like, did I misinterpret that? Yeah. And I think it even actually goes beyond that, you know, from my perspective, and I don't want to speak, you know, beyond my scope, but liberal feminism seems to be about individual rights and privileges that mean the most to people who already have a high degree of material comfort and access to opportunities that can provide more, more of represented by sort of symbolic gestures, you know, like I saw the other day, the Bumble CEO, the sort of women reply first dating app. Yeah, yeah. They, they said she's among a rare group of self-made billionaire women. And the reason they didn't say the first is because that woman is currently being investigated by fraud for the justice department. Um, that's the, uh, blood testing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Theranos. Yeah, exactly. That might be seen by people in the media who already have prestigious positions in society as a great thing for all women. But the women really look at that and say like, oh, that means I could be that too. So you're saying just, I'm not sure I fully agree with that, Mm -hmm. that. Well, what I'm contrasting it with is the socialist view of feminism, the leftist view of feminism, which is about actually materially helping the most vulnerable of women and most vulnerable of other oppressed groups with the understanding that yes, a rising tide does lift all ships. All right, Cyrus, let's roll up the sleeves for our own edification and the buildup of her, us, whatever, everyone else listening challenge. So where do you disagree with her? Yeah. I mean, I I think for me, you know, that I'm largely sympathetic to the socialist feminist cause. That's where I, where I uh, bread my, or butter my bread. Uh, (laughs) But I think one of the most interesting parts of the conversation that I would have loved to get into a lot more and kind of get more nuanced discussion of is that what we touched on at the end of sexual liberation, different standards for men and women in that respect. Oh, you're saying you're not for the sexual liberations of things? Oh, well, I think, you know, from my own personal experience that that can't possibly be true. Um, I'm all for sexual liberation in, in, in its many forms. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, we kind of got into a little bit about the different standards for men's masturbation habits and women's masturbation habits. Yeah, she seemed to have like a, a, a bone to pick with the church there and that there was a lot of focus on male sexual sins and not on females or on liberation. Oh, you go. Right, right. And to me, I mean, I don't think there's any problem with that. I think the thing that's tied most closely to masturbation that I have to question a little bit, and Julian didn't mention this, but this is something I think is worth further discussion, which is I'm someone who watches porn, Okay. but I 
especially recently, have really begun to question how much damage it might be doing to me, mm. to men in general, to just the general way in which we perceive women. And, and it probably affects women too. I just can't speak to that. But from my view, it, it definitely does objectify, demean, devalue women's bodies and sexuality. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's not to mention like the immense amount of rape, revenge, and uh, most disgustingly child pornography uh, that no, I hate that. makes its way to, you know, all these sites. Um, and that's, I don't know where I stand on it, I guess, totally. I just think it's a conversation that probably ought to be had a lot more vigorously in, in the public forum because, you know, if, if equality for women is making them as sexually liberated as men have permitted themselves to be, I just don't know for sure if that's progress, I guess, is, is kind of my general point on that. Like, I think it's a it's a conversation that has to be discussed. Cyrus, thank you for mentioning that. One thing I want to comment on and provide a bit of a, an, a, a maybe it's an opposing view or context. It's some of the sexual purity groups and, and, and support groups that do happen in a, a lot of American churches. And some of the people that are listening might have participated sons or daughters did or think that that it's like draconian and had no clue about it. And it's that uh, there is a lot of benefit to that. And she spoke of some of the more conservative social norms that were sort of pushed or forced or she felt a little uncomfortable from. And I can understand how she felt some of those things. And I don't think that they're all good and could be done better. But to, and I don't think she was saying it to throw the baby out with the bath bathwater. Um, I guess I want to personally say that I benefited from, from some of those, that it really, those support groups helped me break what was an addiction in like middle school to pornography. And so I haven't, thank God, God in heaven, uh, looked at pornography in a long time. And, and if I did, uh, there's like more than a handful or two handfuls of men here just locally that would actually want to know about that. Not saying like, yeah, they would want to know about that. And they'd want to know about that because- one, they want me to be like full faith, mind, soul, body in love with my wife. And, and that's honoring to God to do that. And to, and I mean, even Jesus said, like, you're an adulterer if you think about another woman lustfully. And so I know that might seem overly repressive. I look at it as overly liberating. In fact, this does set up for a little bit more of a stark disagreement with maybe the sexual liberation ideology in that. A lot of those groups are based on freedom from your flesh. And I'm not talking flesh, just uh, sexual immorality or promiscuity or things like that. But I'm talking um, any kind of moral impurity, whether it be idolatry, like uh, greed or uh, materialism or jealousy or any kind of envy, um, anything similar, outbursts of anger even. Right. And so those are all things my body wants to do. And the exchange of those, what God offers, right. And what those groups are trying to, and they ought to be is drawing you into Jesus, which we, we you know, we believe the, the embodiment of God. And in exchange for those like envies, the sexual like temptations that seem to like, you know, you could be potentially addicted to. And if you don't think you're addicted to the pornography, just stop for a year and see if you're addicted to it. And in exchange, we get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Like it's not meant to be necessarily a white knuckle, as I think Julia mentioned, <laughs> and, um, but it's, even though it can be, that's like, that's the religious aspect of it, right? That's the rules around it where it's really like we are submit, like we are crucifying our flesh. Like it doesn't have to be that way. Is what you're saying. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, St. Paul puts it, says like, we are crucifying our flesh 
so Christ can live in us and we can have that kind of freedom and we can have that kind of joy that, that Christ had in the freedom from all those things, right? So it's like we have a higher consciousness, a higher self that we get to literally experience and that's love, joy, and peace. So I guess I just want to sort of say that um, it was seemingly done wrong and, and, I, and I think it's done wrong all over the place. It's just for anyone that, again, thinks that's like out of left field, try yourself a purity group or, or try yourself an accountability group for anything that you want less of or more of. And there's good love to be had there. Yeah, I want to be careful here to not compare women or sex to meat. But as someone who has gone vegetarian in the last you know year and a half or so, I, I did that as in part because I felt like I needed to exert some discipline over my urges, you know, ah, in a good. way. And yeah. I, I found it much easier to exert that discipline over my urges when I just stopped having them as urges. Um, now that being said, yeah, well, right, I, but, yeah. I don't want to say that sexual urges are not, uh, you know, are not normal because they definitely are. And I don't think that they're wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you, you know, know the biblical view that like it's, dress. and that's one thing that the church history has done so poorly on is demeaned it, thrown sex in a closet. I think I said in, in our conversation that anyone who says like sex, drugs, and rock and roll is, it sucks is lying to you. <laughs> it's just, we believe that God has a, uh, like there is, there's freedom in God's structure, right? There's freedom in sex and marriage. There's freedom in, you know, c- certain things. Yeah. It's kind of funny because the first people who criticized rock and roll and saying, Oh, it's going to lead to, you know, total, total moral degradation and the destruction of fabric of society. They, they sort of had a point like, you know, people who get into that sort of thing, like do do drugs and, and, at times can sabotage their own lives because of the culture around that. It's just, if you don't speak to people about it, honestly and straightforwardly, then they're not going to trust. Yeah. And it's, again, it's like this, you're witnessing, I think what Julie was really like on the whiplash end of is like a religious establishment that's had like that implementing rules and not drawing you into a personal God who is wild, bigger than we can imagine, but way more personal in every second of our lives. If, you know, if we engage him in that way. And so, so I, I, I leave that there. We could go deep there and leave it there. Yeah. I do feel like that will probably be something we have to revisit um, in a later episode because I'm having lots of thoughts right now, but we will put, save that for the future. Uh, one other thing I just wanted to uh, address briefly, and I, I guess I did not expect a, a, a abortion, reproductive rights, anything else like that to become up so often on our shows. Uh, One of the things I guess I disagree with her is, is if like poverty eradication is the most pro-life position, I'm sort of paraphrasing what she said. Uh, So I disagree with that, but I, but it's one of the most pro-life positions. So I agree with her there. And it's part of the equation. Man. And I think it's, I I was so encouraged by her uh, response to say, yeah, if, there were some legitimate, uh, you call them socialist, you call them necessary, you call them humane, Christian, whatever, uh, social policies on the table, like con- contraceptive provision, like universal health care and child care and other things that she would at least be willing to strongly consider some restrictions to abortion, especially if there was like a state subsidized and provided adoption in that like, and I, I think maybe you said it, so you said like uh, yeah. you, no one wants more abortions um, if the need for them like feasibly goes away. Um, and so one of the things I think Julia made a good point on is like, yeah, like there will probably always be a demand for abortions, but the ones who will just have access to them are the rich. Yeah. And so 
one of the things I want to do. They get the private doctors like they do for COVID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I want to do is bring on um, uh, my past, my pastor right now, who is a one issue voter on abortion. And I, I'm not. Um, and there's a lot of people who disagree politically at our church. We have a very multi-ethnic church. Listen to our John Sanders interview. Um, but I want to hear him sort of respond to that. Because he is, you know, he really cares for the sanctity of life and unborn life. And he says he's a one issue voter until that issue is not an issue anymore. I'd want to really understand his perspective on would you be willing to pursue in a different way or in in another way? Yeah, because I mean, we'll get into this if if we talk to him, but that's, you know, a position that is very... Uh, it's a controversial wedge issue. It's it's what gets people to vote against economic interests uh, uh, for themselves. Well, the only way to resolve that is to just enforce your view on everybody else, no matter if they disagree with you, or somehow convince them all at the generally the same time. And I don't think either of those things is going to happen. I guess what I'm saying soon. is, I I dream of a day where this isn't as electric of a fence, electric fence of an issue, and this is almost more like immigration in where you have one party saying, boy, we need to secure our borders because border languages and culture is like a definition of a nation. And you have other people going like, yeah, well, we have a ton of undocumented workers or illegal immigrants, and we need to take care of these people because they don't have access to social systems and these sort of things. Where you could do both at the same time if you had the political will and cooperation to do it, right? That would be a far cry better than where we're at now, which is hating people who disagree with you thinking like they're tyrants or uh, you know, whatever they are. Right. So yeah. Not to mention that there would be a lot less, you know, desire for people to get abortions if they really felt like their community and the, the, the government supported them in some way, you know, that, that's, I think- and I'm, I'm not saying there's any, yeah, Cyrus short of work that needs to be done. Cause there's plenty of churches who will shame a uh, girl for getting pregnant and, uh, and, and keeping the baby. Right. And it's very easy to get that problem solved, have her go live with grandmother for whatever, you know what I mean? Like right. there's, especially in the South, man, you just stories after stories. Right. And so like the way they did it in Ireland until like a couple of years ago, they just like sent them to a nunnery and beat them. <laughs> yeah, man. You know what? God forgive us for not loving our own. Um, anyway, um, I, I, so there's a lot more there. I, I appreciated her critique on the prosperity gospel. One thing that I'm, I'm sitting with, I, I want to bring on a dear friend of ours who's studying to be a priest, loves Jesus, also a West Pointer, um, to hear him sort of talk about, yeah, the New Testament, uh, Jesus is not New Testament, just a focus on um, loving people vis-a-vis uh, sexual sins. It, I, I think that's just um, I, I want to hear more about that. So Julia's conversation gave us a trailhead for a bunch of others. So I, I, it, it's been good. Definitely. If you uh, generally like the conversation you heard, expect a lot more of that in the future. And we will uh, be coming back at you with a couple more interviews, a couple more topic episodes in the next few weeks. In the meantime, check out our Meet the Capitals episode. We love you guys. Please, if you have any prayer requests, uh, send them to us. It's something I really um, enjoy doing as um as, as a hobby, just praying for people, lifting people up, and uh, Cyrus, um, let's do this again. I love you. Love you too, man. All eternal, and this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. 
We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs. And uh, look forward to seeing you next time.